Church Experience Online. We're so happy that you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you'd like to access helpful growth step resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience Worship original songs. We hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. say Merry Christmas. <laughs> I'm so excited, man. And let me just get a feel for where you guys are at. How many of you love Christmas so much that you started listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Anyone I want to confess? Wow, a lot of you. Okay. How many of you have to wait till after Thanksgiving, like December 1, then you can start? Anybody in that group? How many of you are like, never? I'm not into really Christmas music. Okay, look at those people. Say, bah humbug. Just look at them. <laughs> I'm just playing. Just having fun. But, you know, I love this time of year. I mean, it's, it's, there's something special about it. You know, we're accentuating and elevating the thing that we should be focused on all year long. But the thing that unites us, and that's Jesus and his birth and his life. And so this is an exciting time for us as believers as we want to be reminded of how amazing this story is that is a part of our story. And that's Jesus' invitation. And in fact, the title of today's message, This Is Your Invitation. Because really the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus is an invitation. And, you know, I, I've been given some invitations in my life, as you have, and, and it seems like this time of year there's a lot of invitations, right? You have a work Christmas party, whether you want to go or not. It's kind of like, you know, it's unsaid obligation, you know. And, and then there's, you know, the, the friends are getting together for like a Christmas cookie swap or, a, you know, maybe a white elephant gift exchange. Anybody keep an ugly Christmas sweater in your closet just because you might get an invite someday to an ugly Christmas sweater Christmas party, right? Family gatherings. This is a busy time of year, is it not? I mean, there's, there's a lot happening. Christmas shopping lists, if you do that. I mean, there's just, there's so much to be done on top of the normal things and on top of maybe kids finishing up schoolwork for the semester. There's just, there's a lot going on. It's a busy time, a lot of invitations. It was Christmas time uh, quite a few years ago, pre-kids. Pre Jennifer and I had an invitation that was given to us unexpectedly. Busy Christmas season, schedule's full. Life was good, though, and out of the blue, our phone rang. A good friend of mine named John, and John said, Brandon, we were living at Washington, D.C. at the time. He said, Brandon, now you know I work at the White House. He was a Secret Service agent, not, not the kind that you see suited up next to the president. Uh, he, he actually, he was serving in the era of George W. Bush. He was there. Uh, he, he's not, not the guys, you know, in the suit, but he was the guy in the machine, with the machine gun in the bushes hiding behind the president, right, with the canine. That, that was his job, the guys that you don't see. But he, he goes, you know, you know, I work here. Uh, you know, I had an opportunity, I got some passes. Would you guys like to come and get to visit the White House, meet the president, come stand in the Rose Garden, you know, when he flies in? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Like, who gets invited to the White House? That's super cool. Like, I, like yes. And, and, you know, let me check my schedule. No, not at all. Like, yes, I, I'll clear whatever. I will be there. And we show up and we go through the whole entrance process where you, you have to check your ID and make sure, you know, you're on the list. And we get badges. We walk in. And it was decorated for Christmas. It's so cool. We got a picture with the Christmas tree there. And, and uh, we got to sign the guest book. So if you ever get invited, go look about 10 years ago. Look, look for my name. It's in there. I, I signed the guest book. It's legit. And, you know, I don't know if you realize this or not, but, but I got to meet the guy that you pay for, you fund with your tax dollars, you pay for a guy to take care of the president's dog. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that pre that trip, but, but in his era, his dog's uh, name was Barney. And uh, just like, hey, this is the president's dog. Would you like to hold it? Yes, I'd like to hold the president's dog. And by the way, this, guy, this guy's full-time job is to take care of the dog. I'm like, really? That's your job? Take care of Barney. And so uh, I got to hold the president's dog. It's cool. And uh, we're staying around the Rose Garden, and Marine One comes in. And, you know, they have, maybe you know this, they have three of them, uh, helicopters that look identical. That way, if anyone ever targeted it, they wouldn't know which one he's in. And so they, they lands. The others fly by, and Marine One lands right there on the lawn. 
And the president gets out, and apparently it's custom for the first lady, Laura at the time, just to walk, she walked right into the White House, so we didn't get to meet her, but he went over to the group of us standing there in the Rose Garden, and, and he just went down the line and shook our hands, let's take pictures, and it was just a cool experience to be behind the curtain of what you always see on television, all these presidents, past and present, like, you know, in, you know, the, the White House, and it's like, man, I'm here, this is pretty epic. And it was, it all began with a phone call, an invitation. Someone say, hey, would, would you like to come and experience this? Absolutely. That sounds like a great invitation. I'm in. And when I said yes, that opened the door up to a great opportunity, a, a great experience that I'll always remember, something unique. When you say yes to an invitation from God, it does more than open the door for an option or an opportunity or an experience. And I, I wanted to begin this way in your teaching notes. When I say yes to God's invitation, I experience transformation. See, the Christmas story is really a story of God inviting you into an opportunity that transforms your life and, and continues to transform your life. And when I say yes to Jesus' invitation, my whole future is changed. The whole trajectory of my life is changed. My life gets better. My family gets better. My relationships get better. My future is brighter because I say yes to God's invitation. Now, what is God's invitation? Well, there's, there's four parts of it, at least, that we're going to get into here in just a moment. But before we get to that, I want to read what I think sums up the whole of all of God's invitations in Psalm 34, 8, where he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And that, that really summarizes well the invitation of God. It's, it's doing two things. It's one, announcing something. Hey, I'm good. And, and two, it's inviting you into, into that relationship. If you'll taste and see, if you'll walk with me, if you'll know me, you'll experience that I am good. I'm better than anything in this life that you could have or experience. And so God is always inviting you. He's always inviting us. He's saying, hey, come on, come on, come with me. Let's go. And when we go back to the Christmas story, in fact, let's do that. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 2. You're going to see that the Bible is filled with invitations from God. When you start looking through this filter, it's pretty amazing to see, yeah, God's always inviting me. He's always inviting me and compelling me forward. Look here what happens in part of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. When the angels announced to the shepherds the birth of Christ. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go. Everybody say, Let's go. That's right. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So right there, the same two things happened that we read about in Psalms. There was an announcement and there was an invitation. The announcement is today. Today the king was born. Today Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Something's going down. You need to get in on this. And then two, the invitation. The invitation saying, hey, this is just happening right down the road today. I mean, you can go and see it. It's there. And, and they said, let's go. Let's, let's receive that invitation. We want to go check this out. And they did. They went and they saw Jesus. And we'll come back to that story in a moment. But Jesus is always inviting me. He's always inviting me. He's saying, come, see. See what I've done. See, Jesus is born. And, and the invitation specifically in our life, they're still coming. And I want to focus on four of them today. They're in your notes. I think they're going to help, be helpful for you. And I hope that one of these will kind of leap off the, the page of notes you have in front of you and that you'll take into this week and be something that can make this Christmas season more meaningful to you. And I think all of these, we have these in common. Really, this is what unites us. It's the invitation of Christ. It's what brings us together. This united Christmas, we reunite around this common message of Christ and his birth. But these four invitations are in your notes. Number one is that God invites me to live as a child of the great king. He invites me to live as a child of the great king. Now we have, to, we have to start there because everything begins and ends with this invitation. But I think this is one I would contend you have potentially overlooked. How incredible this actually is. 
And so if we could just sit on this for just a moment, because I think this could be transformational for you, especially if you're like me, you've been around the things of God for, for more than a short amount of time. Maybe, maybe a, a large part of your life, you, you've believed in God or been around God. Some of you are new to, to following Jesus. Some of you, this is the first church you've ever really attended and engaged in. But, but many of us, you know, we've been following God for some time now, and, and it's, it's very possible that you have lost the awe and wonder of how amazing this is. I'm a child of the king, the king of all kings. John 1, 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So as we believed and received him, we, we were given the right to become children of God. It goes on in verse 13, it says, children born not of natural descent or of a human decision, a husband's will, but born of God. In John 3, Jesus talked about, said, in the terms of being born again, you're reborn, you're, you're born anew, you're, you're adopted into this new family. And think about that for a moment. The Bible talks about the church in the context of a family of God. Like, we're a part of God's family. He's our father. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, in the Disney princess area, I'm trying to, uh, uh, um, the, the Disney princess era that we live in, I'm trying to communicate this to my daughters. They're six and eight. And, and I'll look them in the eyes, and, and they know all the princesses, and I'll say, well, listen, you know, those are, those are pretend princesses. They're great stories. And, and one of my daughters will say, well, not Pocahontas. That one's real. <laughs> it's like, the, 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 I say, well, listen, you're an actual real princess, like legit real print. Like you are a princess. What? No, I'm serious. Your father in heaven, God, is a king. He, he, he is the king and you're his daughter because you place your faith in him. So you're a real princess and your daddy is a real king. So I got two dads? Yeah. I got two dads. <laughs> that's, that's, they, they didn't understand that. But then, you know, the little confusing thing is around the house when you know, someday they want to praise mom. Like, mom, you're the best mom ever. Dad, you're the second best dad ever. <laughs> it's true. I'm okay with that. I'm good with being second best. I'll never be the greatest dad in my house. There's always one that's greater. But, but, but I'm trying to help them understand something really important. Like, you, you are a princess. You're, you're the daughter of a king. And I, I want you to think about that just for a moment. Maybe, maybe this has slipped your mind. Maybe this is something you've never really grasped or really experienced or thought about. Like everybody's out there looking for their identity and who they are and what that means and, and, and you know, like how they should posture and present themselves. And, but, but think about this. You're a child of the king of all kings. You're, you're a child of God, the creator. Think about it in context of God being a king for a second. You know, in student experience, we have Wednesday night student experience service. And last time I sat in on a service, it was great because they were, uh, Stephen was preaching on uh, the goat. And he kind of started with an illustration he was talking about. It appealed to me. It caught my attention. I'm a basketball guy. And he, he said, you know, they talk about the goat in basketball. Is it Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time? It's GOAT's an acronym. GOAT, greatest of all time. Is it Michael Jordan or is it LeBron James? And they compare their stats. And he's talking about this, bringing it back to who is the greatest. And I, I like that, that resonated with me. And I, I was thinking, you know what? That's true. Like God is, respectfully, we could say that, the GOAT. He is the greatest of all time. Like there has actually never been anyone in any arena, in any category that's better in any way. Like he is the greatest of all time. He is. But, but don't just stop there because we know that and we praise him in those songs. But think about that. So the greatest of all time and I'm his kid. He adopted me into his family like I'm a child of God. What does a child have? A child, let's say a child of a king. Well, there's a couple things that you have that other people don't have. You have direct access. The Bible says to come in confidence before the throne of God. What does a child of a king do if they want to talk to their father? Well, they can, they can come right up to their father. They can hop up in his lap, and they can share what's going on, and, and the king receives that child differently than, it, than someone else who might want access but doesn't have it. An outsider who might be kind of coming into the kingdom with some other agenda. This is different. This is a child. Just come. What's on your mind? You have direct access to the king. You're his child. Think about that. Just get lost in the wonder of that for a moment. Like, you have access to the king. The most powerful. We talk about, something I've been invited to the president, and, and people have said the American president is the most powerful person on the planet. And th th that is so minuscule compared to the power of God. Think about that for a minute. Like the most powerful of all time is my father and yours. That's crazy. So not only do I have direct access, but this is pretty cool to think about. What's, what's a child of a king have? They have an inheritance. The whole kingdom, it's theirs. I mean, it's, it's their fathers, they're in the family. It's, it's, it's all theirs. So for you and I, our father is a king with the greatest kingdom of all time. 
And we're talking far beyond material wealth and possessions because, you know, people are so enamored by that in our day and age, aren't they? There's even lists of the wealthiest people in the world, and you get all these stories that make the news headlines of this person built this massive fortune or they passed on this massive fortune, and it gets everyone's eyeballs, and it's interesting and engaging. Okay, great, that's, that's part of life. It's interesting. But how small is that compared to our king's kingdom and his inheritance? <laughs> the, the least thing in the kingdom of God is the best thing here, we walk on streets of gold in, in, our, in our coming kingdom, you know? And it's like, this is amazing to think that the God and his amazing inheritance that he has, he has adopted you into that, and so that inheritance is yours, and it far, far exceeds and transcends wealth and prosperity. It's, it's, it's an inheritance of his kingdom that's over all. It's, it's, a, it's a power and an authority that's over all. It's in us. It's his presence that's in us. It's something that's through us. It's, it's the way his kingdom, it works through us. It, it's, it's so much greater than anything this world knows, and it's ours because we're children of the king. But here's our dilemma, and you know, this, is, this is the hard part. If I'm going to receive this invitation, now you, 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 you receive it once when you accept Christ into your life, you ask for the forgiveness of your sins, you place your faith in Jesus, there, there's the, the invitation has been opened, you've received it, but I think you kind of have to almost reopen it on a regular basis because you forget how amazing it is. Not that you're not invited anymore and you have to be accepted again, it's, it's just that you have to be reminded, you have to go back and remember, oh yeah, like I, I'm a child of a king, oh yeah, what am I worried about? My, the best is yet to come, like... We have to keep opening that invitation. Let me describe it this way. I was just trying to think through how it could be most helpful in this. Because, because maybe for you it's grown cold and it doesn't have the, this time of year even, Christmas, doesn't have the awe and the wonder it used to. I want you to think about a, a 10-year-old boy, a 10-year-old boy who's adopted into a family. And he's grown up in an orphanage, let's say. And let's say it's been a very difficult upbringing for him. Maybe something really bad happened with his parents, whatever it might be, and he's raised in this orphanage with no, no human mother and father, and he's been praying, God, would you please send somebody to adopt me, foster me, because I would love to be in an actual home and have actual parents and not eat in the mess hall with a bunch of other people here at the orphanage, but actually have a, a kitchen table and a refrigerator. I, I would just love that, and imagine just for a moment with me, if you could, the day that that 10-year-old boy is pulled into the office at the orphanage, and they say, we have some parents who want to adopt you. Imagine the emotion of that day, like you've always wondered where you belong and wished you had a family and, and you're adopted into this, this family and they bring you home and they say, hey, this, this house, this is your home now. And you're like, I got a home? That's crazy. And they said, no, it's better than that. Come on inside. And they walk you down the hallway and there's a bedroom down at the end of the hall and they say, this room, this is your room. I got my own room. I'm not sharing with anybody. I got my own room. This is your room. That's insane. This little kid takes off running around the house doing laps around the backyard. I got a yard. You know, just so excited. I mean, what would you think in that moment? You know, they take you into the kitchen. They say, hey, this fridge, anytime you want anything, pantry, it's yours. Just, there's always going to be food. Just help yourself. Like, there's not like scheduled meal times and we all go in and walk down the assembly line. No, no, just, just if you're hungry, just come eat. Like this is your place, your fridge. Wow. Like it's just unbelievable. I have a mom and a dad. I mean, adoption is such a beautiful thing. Fostering is such a beautiful thing. And, but imagine being that 10-year-old boy. The wonder of it blows your mind. But unfortunately, the same thing that happens to that 10-year-old boy I think happens to us when we come to Christ. We accept his invitation. This is incredible. Are you kidding me? Forgiveness, love, compassion, a future. But that the 10-year-old, 18 months, 24 months later, you get to 12, they get to 15 years old. What happens to that 10-year-old that used to run laps around the house? I got a yard. Man, I wish I had a new bike. This thing is always falling apart on me. And we never have the right cereal around here. We never have the right food. It's the, if they're like the average 15-year-old, a few years or a few years removed from the initial opportunity, what happens to that child is they forget how amazing it is. And like us, they can become entitled. They can even become discontent. And they, what they once looked at with awe and wondered and they beheld with such great amazement, like, are you kidding me? This is an this is a amazing blessing. They start to look at it with, Cold familiarity, like, yeah, of course, every kid has a fridge, and every kid has a room, like, it's normal. 
And they forget. They forget what life used to be like. And I would contend that many of us in the room have forgotten how amazing it is that we've been adopted into the family of a king. <laughs> that our father, he's the, the, the king of all kings, the name above all names, the, the father over everything, the creator, and he's given us access. He's given us companionship. He's forgiven you of your sins. He's given you a future, an inheritance, more than anything you could ever want. And he said, hey, you're mine and I'm yours. Come follow me. It's all yours, the whole kingdom. You're my child. I love you. Like, how amazing is that? And we can forget that. We get lost in that. But God invites me to become a child of the king. Are you experiencing that this Christmas? That unites us. We're a family. We're the family of God. But it doesn't just end there. This is how amazing God's invitation is. Number two, we're invited to experience his presence personally. I'm, a, I'm, I'm invited to experience the presence and the power of God to really know him, to be filled with his Holy Spirit, to not just serve God and work for God, but to work with God. And the angel said this in, in Luke 2.10. They said, I bring you good news. We talked weeks ago about how the gospel means good news. And, and it says here that the gospel, the good news is, is something that will cause great joy for all the people. So they're declaring something. These angels are saying, hey, shepherds, listen, this thing that's happened today, this king that's been born, it's gonna result in great joy. It's the presence of God with you, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's so incredible. Why is that so incredible? Because Psalm 8410, better is one day in your courts, God, than a thousand elsewhere. So no matter where else I could be, no matter what else I could do, no matter how amazing it is on earth, nothing you can experience on earth is better than one day in God's presence. In fact, a thousand days anywhere else, it tells us, is not as good as one day in God's presence. This is good news. This should bring great joy. I can experience God's presence. You, you've been invited to experience God's presence every day. How long has it been since you've truly experienced God's presence in a normal day? How much are you experiencing God's presence this Christmas season? Are you really walking with God? Do you just believe in God? Or are you every day understanding that he believes in you and he's with you? See, just knowing about God is very different than, than knowing God personally and walking with him. And you've been invited to do more than just believe in God. You've been invited to walk with him and your family to walk with him and your future to walk with him. This is incredible. I was speaking at a kind of a ranch camp type thing up in Michigan. And uh, after the, the, one of the sessions, uh, I, I walked out to the back of the room. And they were closing the service with uh, some music. And, and I saw a woman in the back um, who was just weeping, and she was sobbing, and just, just seemed like she was broken. And I, I walked over to her, just felt like I should go say something, and I, I put my arm on her shoulder and said, hey, you know, are you okay? Can I pray for you? And, and, and she just, when she could pull herself together enough to, to speak, she shared a short version of her story, and I'll never forget it. It was amazing. Her name was Jackie. And Jackie told me right there in the back of the auditorium, she said, hey, I was, I, as a young girl, I, I was, uh, I, I, my, I was, grew up in a, a split family, and I, I was, in a really bad spot because my mom had passed away. And my dad sent me to live with my aunt. So there I am having lost my mom and have this feeling that my dad doesn't want me. And today you were preaching on, you know, that God loves us and that he values us even if other people undervalue us. And she says, it got to me because that's my story because I went to live with my aunt feeling unwanted by my dad. You know, in a sense abandoned, is not her fault, but abandoned by my mom, not really having a place. Jackie said, I went and lived with my aunt, and she said, after I'd been there a short amount of time, her, her child got cancer, and so she couldn't take care of her child who was sick and take care of me, so she sent me to my dad, and my dad just made it real clear he didn't want me. So there I am now, 12 years old, having been abandoned by everybody who should care for me, and she said, at that point, I moved in with a 19-year-old boyfriend, 12 years old. She was living with a 19-year-old boyfriend who introduced her to cocaine, got her on drugs, she, she was in such a mess of a situation in her life. And she's telling me this, and, and like my heart's breaking, and I, I can see through her tears, like, this girl's been through a lot. And she's, then the whole story turned, and she said, but then, she's telling me about her journey, she says, then I met Jesus. And, and she said, the whole, my whole life has been different since. She's like, I, I found that I was worth something. I always wondered if I was worth anything, if anybody cared about me, wanted me, and I realized that, that my Father in heaven loves me, that he cares about me. And she's telling me this was, I can see the joy through her, her brokenness. And she's like, that he forgives me. I, I did so many terrible things, and he forgave me of all that. You know, I'm part of his family. Like, she's, 
as she's saying this to me, I'm like, I'm feeling what she's saying. Like, this is amazing. And, and, and she was there not as an attender of the camp. She's like, I experienced Jesus, and I wanted to help others find him. And so she started serving at that camp, and she would go there on a regular basis and help other people, those who were there learning and trying to grow in their faith. But there on that day when she was trying to learn and grow and the message was about value, she, she was brought back all those years ago. Like now her life's been restored. She's been forgiven. She's been adopted into God's family. She's actually helping others. But she was brought back in that moment on that day to that time when she was lost, wondered if she was valued, when she was broken, and the tears just came because she remembered in gratitude all that God had done in her life. Now her story is it's pretty, when you, when you hear it, it's, it's got some pretty big pieces to it. It's like, wow, that's, that's a wild story. But did you realize that your story and mine is the same as hers? It's no different. The details are a little different, but it's the same story. And that our life without Christ was really a mess and headed nowhere fast. And the rescuing hand of Jesus reached down into whatever hole that we had been lost in. And he pulled us up out of the darkness into the light took our feet out of the murky ground and put it on solid ground, brought us from lost and wandering and abandoned and lonely and rejected and, and purposeless, brought us into a home, into a family, and gave us security and safety and strength and power and future and hope. Like, this is what our God has done for us. Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten how sweet the presence of God is, how powerful the presence of God is? And when Jesus says to his church, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If, if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and eat with you and, and, and you with me. He's, it's an invitation again. They're all over the Bible. He's saying, I'm inviting you to my presence. It's, it's amazing. You have access. You have something special. And like Jackie, you need to remember, you need to go back and be reminded of how amazing this is. Because if I can go a whole day and not even talk to God, if I can go a whole week and not really experience his presence, can I possibly really understand how amazing the access I have is if I can go a whole week and God's not even on my calendar, if he's not even in my life, his presence. So you have an invitation. Are you accepting it or have you declined the invitation to his presence? There's nothing better. You won't find anything better. There's no invitation that you'll accept in this life that will bring you more fulfillment, joy, or peace than the presence of God. It's yours. The invitation is on the table. It's been slid your way. You just got to open it. But that's not the only invitation God gives me. It's not the only invitation he gives you. And number three in your notes is God invites me to discover his rest. And another thing that unites us at Christmas, not just at Christmas, but all year long, is this invitation to God's rest. That we as this church were invited, not even just invited, commanded to rest in God. You know, so many people this time of year with everything going on, you know, it's just the busyness, right? So many people are just overwhelmed. I think that's probably a common thing. Hey, how you doing? All busy. <laughs> if you ask people, you know, especially here for the next couple of weeks, leading a couple of weeks leading to Christmas, hey, how you doing? I'm just busy, stressed out, you know, I'm worn out, burnt out, fried out, you know, flaming out. It's like everybody's just on, on the edge because there's a lot of extra stuff. There might be some Christmas shopping. There might be family events. There might be travel to arrange. Maybe someone's coming to stay with you and there's things you need to get done. I mean, there's extra parties and invitations. There's a lot going on. And some people are like, well, forget it. Let's Let's just not even do Christmas. Let's, not, let's just throw the whole thing out. Here's the thing. I, I know it's a busy time of year, but my personal take on it is I think it's good that we pull out all the stops and have a, a party and that, whichever way you want to celebrate, I, I think we should because, yes, we should celebrate the birth of Jesus all year long. I, I think we should. It should be the same in July and March as it is on December 25th. And, and yes, his birthday, as far as we know, probably wasn't even on the 25th exactly. I'll, I get it. But here's the thing. If you don't have any special moments in your life, it's kind of like the marriage who says, well, we don't need to celebrate birthdays or anniversaries. Let's just not ever do anything. Let's just, we're, we're. It's real easy to slip into familiarity and routine and lose the awe and wonder when you don't have anything that's a catalyst to wake you up and remind you, like, this actually matters. This is amazing. And when we can have a day on the calendar or a season that says, hey, like, remember how amazing this is. This, this is good news, right? Like, I know you, you should have been, in theory, doing this all year long, but many of you haven't because you've slipped and you've forgotten about it. So come on, let's, let's be reminded of how great God is and how great his birth is. It awakens us. But either way, we get wrapped up in the festivities and we get wrapped up in the activities and the list of things to do, and we can get so worn out. But God invites me, and maybe this is an opportune time to be reminded of this one, that God invites me into his rest, to discover his rest. He's always inviting us. Look at the Bible. How, how rich is this? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you what? Yeah, 
I'll give you rest. He's always saying, come. He's always inviting me. He's commanded me in the Bible that one day every seven to Sabbath, which is described as a time of rest and worship, where I'm not doing whatever it is that I, I, I normally do to work to earn, because you have to earn, you have to provide, you are busy, but you do that six days, just like God modeled in creation. And on the seventh, we rest from doing our work and we slow down from doing our work so that God can speed up his work in us. And if you don't ever slow down from doing your work, then you won't see God do all his work that he wants to do in your life. You will actually be more fruitful in the things that matter if you work six and rest one than if you go all seven. I don't have time. I'm too busy. You have no idea how much going on in my life right now, Brandon. I don't. But God does, and he knew it before you were born, and he said, I've designed you and created you to rest and Sabbath one out of every seven so that while you're doing all this work of creation, you can periodically rest and let me recreate you. I can rest you and restore you. For me, I know this has been a challenge throughout my life to, to, to not even just a day of rest, but to have the, this, the spirit of rest throughout everything that I do, even in my work, to rest in God and not let everything rest on me. Because there's a difference when everything is resting on you and the pressure's on you. And if you don't perform, if you don't come through, if you don't follow up, if you don't get it done, if you don't accomplish, if you don't succeed in whatever you're doing, like, then it's all on you. Success or failure, rise or fall, it's on you. And when I'm, when I'm doing that, when I get caught up in it's my life is all me, my family, my work, everything that I'm doing, if, if I don't do it, then to me, I know, I've noticed some things about what happens in me. And it's not good. It's not pretty. But when I'm resting in God, that same pressure can come, but I have a release valve from that pressure, and I can say, well, God, you know, really, this is on you. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm resting in you. I'm going to do my part, but in the end, i got to do my best, and i got to give you the rest. Like, God, you've put me in this situation. God, you've, you've created me. You, you know, you God, I'm going to give it to you. But I've noticed when I'm not resting in God, I can just give you three things to maybe help you diagnose if this is where you're at and maybe what God brought you here for today is you needed to hear this, I need to rest in God. Maybe beyond just a Sabbath day, that's what a lot of us are doing here today, we're resting, we're Sabbathing, and we're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not working today, I'm worshiping, I'm, I'm setting aside this as a special day. But maybe it's beyond that. Maybe you need to rest more in God throughout your life. And here's three things in my life that I can diagnose if I'm starting to get out of the rest of God and I'm resting in my own work instead. One, I've, I've noticed that the work I'm doing or whatever it is that I'm chasing or accomplishing, that becomes an end in itself. Listen, that becomes an end in itself instead of a response to what God has asked of me. So what I'm trying to say is it's very easy to do your career or your family or your responsibilities or your tasks or whatever you have, your, your calling, your ministry. It's, it's easy to do something in the flesh of like, you know, that's the goal. That's the end to do this. But I think as a believer, I've learned that when I'm resting in God, all the work I'm doing is actually should be, instead of work, it should be worship. It's a response. God, you've created me. You've given me life. I'm giving it back to you. My, all my possessions are yours. My time is yours. My career is yours. God, I, I, I want to be faithful to you. I want to serve you. I mean, you've done so much for me, God. It's all yours. I want my life to sing a song of worship to you, not just my lips on Sunday morning. I want everything I do to be done for you. And when I get that right, which sometimes seems few and far between. When I get that right, I rest in God's presence. That, that pressure doesn't fully go away, but the stress and the chaos. I mean, a lot of times in the midst of that, I find myself resting and finding joy even and peace in the midst of crazy times filled with pressure because I'm resting not in myself but in God. Another thing that I've noticed is that I can get really negative or critical of myself or of others or of my situation when I'm not resting in God. Have you experienced that? Like, Maybe this will help you diagnose where you're at. If some of you were like just, your person sitting next to you is like, this is you, right? They're elbowing you right now. That's a good sign that this might be you. Like if you've got real negative or critical of other people, of yourself, of your situation, a lot of times for me, it's because I'm not doing this. I'm, I have not accepted the invitation to rest in God's presence. I've got wrapped up in resting in my own work and my own ability and what I'm doing. And when I rest in God's presence, it's so amazing how it changes things. I was talking to one of my best friends uh, this, this week. And uh, Brent's my brother-in-law, and he's a professor at a Christian university up in South Carolina. He trains pastors, and, and him and I were just having a good conversation, and he was out on his porch finishing up putting his Christmas lights on his house while we were talking. 
And he got to the point where he's like, you know, turn them on and see the, the big show and everything. And, and, and he turned it on while we were talking. And, and he says, man, Brandon, it's, it's like, it's not lighting up. It's just blinking for some reason. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not all on like it should be. It's, it's, and he couldn't, I could tell he was getting frustrated with this thing, this device that's supposed to turn it all on because he couldn't, he couldn't figure it out. It, it, it wouldn't come on like he wanted to. And he's so focused on that. Like he'd just done all this work. Should have been a moment of accomplishment, but he was so, you know, and, and, and I've been there, right? You, you've got lights on the Christmas tree. You know, you, you didn't test them. You just kind of put them on there, and you plugged it in, waiting for the aha moment. But it was great, and everything looked awesome. The ornaments, the, the tinsel, every, everything was awesome. But, but that light strand right in the center, it was not working. And it was driving you crazy because although everything else was perfect, there was that one part that wasn't working. And, and for me, when I'm not resting in God, 90 to 100% of my attention goes to the one thing that's not working in my life instead of all the things that are working amazing. Instead of gratitude for all the blessings of God, I get focused on the one thing that I'm praying for that hasn't happened or that I think I need. How about you? Like, like when, when I'm resting in myself instead of God, I can get really critical of my situation or myself or others because I start to focus on the one thing that's not, not going well. It's kind of like a gardener. They have to understand this or they'll never enjoy the beauty of what's growing in their garden. They'll never, they'll never be able to enjoy the fruit of what's growing and the, the beauty of what's happening if they don't understand this because they'll always be focused on the weed because there's always a weed that pops up and, and, and that weed pops up and they get focused on that and that, that weed can ruin the experience of everything else that's growing because they're so focused on the weeds that are coming up instead of the beauty that's, that's growing. And in your life, you have some weeds. You have some things that are growing in your life, some, some things in, in, in your circumstances that are not ideal. But if you're resting in God, you can deal with those things better. You can handle that pressure. You can handle that stress. When it's all on you and you're not resting in God, I'm telling you, you're, you're so focused on the things that you don't like, it's not going well, and, and you're getting down on yourself for it or down on others. When I rest in God, man, it's a game changer. So am I, in, am I receiving the invitation to rest in him? And I think the, the third thing that I've noticed when I'm not resting in God like I should be and I'm resting in myself, it's that all my want-tos turn into have-tos. Is there any area in your life you used to be like, I don't want to do that. I get to do that. This is so cool. I get to do that. And now it's like a, I've got to do that. I have to do that. That's a good indication. If you hear those words out of your mouth, I have to do this. I've got to do this. It's a good sign that you potentially are resting in, in yourself and not in God. Because when I hear those words out of my mouth, that's usually an indication in my soul I'm not resting in God like I should. Is there some area in your life, maybe it's in a spiritual discipline area of your life, something you used to love doing, but now it's like a, it's just a box to check, it's an obligation. Maybe there's some area in caring for others, even your own family or people you care about or work with or serving others. They used to be like, I want to, now it's like I have to, or, or sharing with others, being generous to others and giving, like, I want to, versus I have to, or doing the right thing and obeying God and honoring him. Has it shifted to like, I, I have to do... When that happens, you know it's probably because you're not resting. And so how do you change that? Revelation 2.4 tells us, it says, to the church, I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first, your first love. Consider how far you've fallen, repent. So go the other way. Do the things you did at first. Remember, remember like Jackie. Go back and say, you know what? I remember where I would be without Jesus. In fact, I don't even want to think about where I would be, where I was headed without him. If you could allow that moment of rest to happen, it can restore you and refresh you. I have a friend who, <laughs> a good friend who rearranges the furniture in their house. Their family rearranges the furniture, I don't know, every year or two or however often. Uh, whenever they feel like they need something you know, to be freshened up, you know, around the home. And I, I think it was a genius idea because, you know, a lot of people go move or they, you know, they go buy some new furniture. Like, we'll just rearrange things. We'll see it from a different perspective. It feels like a whole new living room. I think that's a great idea spiritually as well. Maybe for you, if you've lost the familiarity and you just, you, you've lost the wonder and you've got stuck in familiarity, maybe for you, you need to rearrange the furniture spiritually a little bit. Maybe brainstorm with a spouse or some friends. And, and maybe it's for you, it's mixing up how you engage in God's word. And you've been just, oh, I have to do it again today. No, like maybe find a fresh devotional or start journaling what you're learning or write out your prayers in a different way. Maybe instead of showing up late to a, a worship service like this, being one of the last ones in or coming when the worship's halfway over or, or leaving, being like the first one out the door to, to get on to the next thing. What, what if, what if, I'm just proposing something, but what if, what if you changed your schedule and you left earlier and you, you got here ready to go and your heart was engaged and you had some sleep the night 
before and, and, and you were leaning in, taking notes and involved in whatever learning environment you're in instead of just kind of trying to get through it. I just wonder if changing some things in your life might actually lead to a better outcome spiritually, might re- re-engage your spirit. See, it needs to be a get-to, not a have-to. It's a get-to. Make time this Christmas season to remember all that Jesus has done. But finally, number four, join him on mission. We're given an invitation to join him on mission. Luke chapter two, back in the Christmas story, the angels made the announcement to the shepherds, but that's not where this story ended. They said, let's go to Bethlehem in verse 15. Down in verse 16, it says, they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. So they hear this amazing news about Jesus. They go and see him and experience him. And out of their own personal experience with Jesus, they say, we've got to go tell other people. This is too good to keep to ourselves." And one of the invitations that God gives you is to take this amazing experience you've had with him and share it with others. Your story, just like Jackie shared it with me, it imprinted my life with, man, I don't ever want to lose that awe and wonder. You can have that kind of influence on somebody else. You know, Peter and John were questioned in the New Testament about their faith. They were being persecuted. In Acts 4.20, they said, for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And if you've accepted the invitation of these first three things, and you're experiencing the presence of God and, and, and you're experiencing the peace and the rest of God and the joy of God, then you can't, you can't but help to go tell other people. They said, we can't help but tell others what we have experienced ourselves, Because for us, it's changed us. For us, it, it's done so much inside of us, we can't help but go tell others. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said, come follow me. There's another invitation. Because come follow me and I will make, and I, and, and I will, send you out to fish for people. I'll I'll, I'll help you bring other people to me. You can't change anyone's eternity, but I can, says Jesus. And if you'll introduce them to me, if you'll invest in them and invite them, then their life will be changed. And you don't have to invite them to a service for their life to be changed. I think it's a great invitation, but you can invite them to Starbucks and sit on over coffee and say, tell me your story. And then you tell them your story and what Jesus has done for you. You could do it standing in your, your driveway, on your street. You can do it in a college classroom. Listen, you have opportunities to invite other people to experience what you've experienced. And when you're really walking with Jesus in his presence, that invitation, when you're receiving it yourself, you can't help but tell others. Look at one more example in John chapter one, verse 40. This is incredible. These guys are experiencing Jesus and and he's saying, come follow him. And they're, they're doing it. Their lives are being changed. And then notice verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. So the first thing he does when he experiences it, I've got to tell my brother. Like, I've met the king. I've met the Messiah. I've, I've met the coming one. Like, you've got to come meet him too. That should be my posture because everyone matters. Everyone in my life matters. They matter to God, and so they need to matter to me. And I'm going to get to this closing question in just a moment, but i got to tell you an experience that I had that, to me, reminds me of the importance of this. You know, we were, as a family, doing some Christmas shopping I don't know, a few years ago at the Countryside Mall, and we walked around and we picked out the perfect gift. Me and the kids picked out the perfect gift for mom. Like, Jennifer, we were so excited for her to get this uh, at Christmas, and it, it was a gift that symbolized our love to her. We'd, we'd all come together. We all f- picked out the perfect gift. We had it in the bag. I was carrying it around. She didn't know it was in the bag. And we're all shopping together. We go into a dressing room at another store, and we're in the dressing room. And, and then, uh, you know, we leave there, and we, we go, you know, ready to head home. We, we're walking through the mall back to our, our vehicle. And as we're walking through the mall, holding one of the kids' hands, walking along, and I realize, oh, the bag. I don't have the bag anymore, the bag of the gift that we got for her. And it wasn't that it was so expensive of a gift. It was that it was meaningful. Like, we'd all picked it out. Like, this is our gift to her, and I lost it. And so I'm like, guys, I, I, I left a bag back at the store. Um, I'm going to run back. I'll, I'll meet you guys at the car. And I just took off jogging through the mall, headed back, running to the, the, this store that we were in. I run to the store, and the, the dressing room's in the back corner, the last place I'd remember having it. And I'm, I'm making like a beeline right to the dressing room. I'm solely focused on, i got to find the bag, find the bag, find the bag. Like, we lost the bag, i got to find the bag. And so much so that I get to the dressing room area, and I'm only focused on, find the bag, find the bag, that I just... 
open. I crash open the dressing room door to get the bag that I left in there. And as I open the door, I am greeted by another face looking at me with jaw dropped in amazement. Like, you just broke into my dressing room. I scared this guy. I'm so thankful he was fully dressed. I'm so sorry. I, I, just, I left something here. I was looking. It wasn't there. Okay, Merry Christmas. I mean, what do you say? I don't know. I was like, sorry for the awkward moment. Never do that again. And, and went to customer service, got, found the bag, thank, thankfully. But, but I remember that moment. A couple of things. One, always lock your dressing room do- doors. There's crazy people out there. <laughs> just, but th- there was something that was so meaningful to me that it, that it warranted an all-out search. It was worth the raised heart rate and running and searching and looking and finding because it mattered. And God's greatest treasure on earth is people, people that you know that don't yet know God. And if you really, think about it, if you really are experiencing these first three invitations, you're living as a child of the king, you're walking in his presence, you're resting in God, you cannot help but want to invite others into that. So if I'm asking myself, how long has it been since I've invited somebody else into this experience with God? It's probably a good indication that I'm not doing those first three things, that I I have not received those first three invitations. Because this fourth invitation to join God on mission should never be an obligation. It's not a box I check. It's not something I go do. I have to go do this. Yeah, a good Christian should do this. No, this is a total response to an overflow to join God on mission, it's like, man, he's, he's changed me. I'm living in his presence. There is nothing better. I'm telling you, this world can't offer you nothing compared to God. Better is one day in God's presence than a thousand days elsewhere. Man, go do whatever you want. Go experience whatever you want. You won't find any joy better than Jesus. And then you're walking in that. You want to tell others about it. You can't help but want to tell others. And so to join God on mission is an invitation for you to invite people you care about. And you care about them because God cares about them. And because God cared about you and received and valued you, you have people in your life that you should be praying for and compelled to bravely and boldly reach out to them in the security of knowing and the rest of God, knowing that what he's done for you. So in your teaching notes, this question I want you to take with you throughout this week as we close is, who are my three that I will pray for and invite? It might be an invitation to Starbucks to sit down with them. It might be an invitation to stand in a, hallway of the school and and talk a little bit more. It it might be an invitation to come and attend a Christmas service with me at church and we'll go out to lunch afterwards. But your invitation can change someone's life as you invite them into the story that you have been invited into yourself. I'm so thankful for God's invitation. I'm a child of the King. I can experience his presence. I can rest in his joy and his peace and I can join him on mission. That's God's invitation for you. And if you'll accept it, you'll find that it unites us together as we have this common vision, this common purpose, and this common Savior in Jesus Christ. Right on. Thanks again for joining us today at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support the movement financially. You're now gonna hear a Church Experience Worship original song. We hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.
Trust in you, you are. 